The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run Walsh. If it's first and ten, Walsh. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure podcast. I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. celebrating another Chiefs' victory in the playoffs, another AFC championship game, Ron, did you ever think it could be like this as a Chiefs fan? Not growing up. No, sir, Stags. No, sir. I mean, you know, I grew up uh, rooting on Tyler Thigpen was my favorite player growing up. Uh, you know, Colby Smith, shout out back in the day. A little, uh, little, little nifty running back. Uh, Brody Croyle, those days. I mean, I mean, this is this is, this is is amazing, Stags. And honestly, I know the beating the Bills 27-24 in the divisional round, moving on to six consecutive AFC championship. Watching that game, Stags, was as intense as, like, just gripping as, like, you know, getting me up out of my – I mean, I wasn't sitting. I mean, there was I was rarely sitting except to do my live live blog, and even then I was doing it standing sometimes. I mean, Stags, that was uh, – that was as that was as fun of a as a as a game. Fun is is a is a certain word to use, uh, you know, with some of the moments in that game. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. That was just that was just uh, it, it was fun to kind of be in that in that back against the wall, you know, uh, you know, on the road kind of mentality and see the Chiefs pull that out. Yeah, it was it was stressful. It was you know heart pounding. It was it was a nail biter through and through. But the vibes, I, we keep going back to the vibes here, Ron. The last three weeks, the vibes around this team have been so good. It, it felt, looking back at that game, I was like, yeah, I don't know that I was ever petrified that they were going to lose that game. It was just yeah. it was close. It was intense. It was a great game. It was back and forth. I, I think the only time I really worried about the the outcome of the game was that one sequence, which I know we'll talk about later, uh, where <laughs> they had so many chances to put this Bills team away. Uh, so uh, you're going to hear a lot of the media narrative, a lot of the Bills fans talking about they had a few missed opportunities. They were like, hey, if Stephon Diggs makes that catch, if if uh, you know this yeah. or that. But if the Chiefs had had capitalized on their opportunities uh, there late in the game, you know this was at least a two score game uh, going, coming down the stretch, and and it wouldn't have been as as heart pounding as it was. But as as it turns out, it was a great game, a lot of fun to watch. 
uh, and and just couldn't be a better time to be a Chiefs fan at this point. Well, no, I, I but I to your point though, like in the in terms of being confident going into this game, you know, because I was, you know, as someone that has talked all year about, you know, this team maybe not having enough, you know, I think this game particular going into Buffalo where all that pressure was on them, you know, they had some injuries as well. But to speak to the confidence of the team, I mean, you know, first of all, Mahomes, you know, is obviously just a confident player, but, you know, just, just, he was fired up, obviously, you know, he had the, after the game, he clearly heard Deion Dawkins talking about, you know, good luck, you know, dealing with the Buffalo crowd. He had the Instagram post, you know, with those quotes there, but also Chris Jones too. You know, I, I was a little worried about the big guy being a little too amped up. There was a video going around uh, from James Palmer before the game where Chris Jones was just, you know, uh, flipping off the crowd, uh, you know, uh, giving them some 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 not nice words, uh, you know, before the game kind of as they were warming up. And and that's the kind of fire and confidence they have as a team, though, that they are the the bad or the the villains. You know, I, I think they're just now embracing the bad guy role. But I think it's not necessarily being the bad guy that they're embracing. I think it's just more about being the better team and knowing it and knowing they're going to come into your house and, and do that. And that was it was just cool to see them truly come into come into Buffalo's house and, and just take it from him. Yeah, it was as hostile of an environment as they're going to play in. Uh, it was time. too. It, it really was. You I know, mean, snowballs flying, uh, the crowd, the, you oh know, man, the, he couldn't even, he couldn't even get to his people after the game. Did you see, you yeah. know, he was trying to, he was ducking snowball. I mean, you know, Hey, that's, that's one way to handle a loss, I guess, Buffalo. But, uh, but no, I mean, I think that just, just tells you where this team's at, you know, just being, you know, at the, at the top, you know, and it was chippy on the field too. There were, there were plenty of, uh, scuffles. There's a, there's a lot of, there were a lot of mouths running, uh, in this game as well. So it was, you know, call it a rivalry, call it whatever. I think Josh Allen probably is right that it's it's hard to call it a rivalry when the Chiefs just keep winning. Uh, that's not exactly what he said, but uh, <laughs> paraphrasing a little bit. So I, I do think this is a, you know, a, a big turning point for this season. We've talked all season about how, that hey, this has just been a, it's been a rough year. It's been a transition year. It's been, you know, a throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see if it sticks here, especially when it comes to the, the wide receiver room. And most of it didn't stick. Um, we begged all year openly on this podcast, focus on only the guys that can make plays, focus on Pacheco, Kelsey, and Rasheed Rice. Let everybody else just block or, or ride the bench. And and frankly, that's a pretty close to what happened. Uh, other than the two plays made by MVS this week, which uh, he deserves all the credit in the world for, the offense is focused around the guys it should be focused around. They figured out who they are. They ran the ball well. They ran the ball with, in power situations and power uh, uh, alignments in ways that we've been asking them to. This is this is the Chiefs team that we wanted it to be all season long. Good defense, maybe great defense. Uh, confident Mahomes, everybody else having fun, a focused you know offense that's a little bit more balanced than what we've seen in the past, and letting guys do what they do best. It it feels like this team continues this trajectory of being, I don't want to say peaking at the right time. They're in the best place that they've been all season, and they're going to the AFC Championship game uh, against the best team arguably in the NFL. No, I think you can absolutely make the argument that they're peaking. And I think the the main point of that is the offense, because I think this game just illustrates to you that, look, no matter how great your defense is, 
no matter how good of a, a year you're having as an NFL defense in today's world, like you can't rely on them to always be holding teams down to 20 points. You know, you can't, you can't, ex you could not expect the chiefs to go into Buffalo and hold that team to 20 points, even though that's what I predicted. Uh, I just, you can't, you can't bank on that. Right. But what the chiefs offense did is pick up the defense when, when it needed it. Right. I mean, that was a, there was a back and forth there in the second and third quarters where, man, you know, Buffalo was just putting it on to a point where, the Chiefs offense, if, if it slipped up at all and, and at any of those points, it could have it could have been disastrous. Yet they just stuck right with them. Match blow for blow. What it, what happened? Some, it happens every game, apparently, that the, this defense down the stretch this year. They settled in. They got stops, including that fourth down where they, you know, uh, the, the punt fake, you know, where they were able to set the Chiefs up, uh, the offense up to go score two touchdowns. But I want to make the point that, you know, <clears throat> they – I, I really did believe the Chiefs offense was going to be able to take that game late. You know, if, if the Bills were to make that field goal, you know, they were they, they were they were playing well. I mean, Holmes was playing well enough. The offense was playing well enough where I, I believed them to go get that touchdown and the game there, win it. But man, Stags, when he missed that field goal, Whew. when that when that kick went wide right. I took a lap around the house. I, I, I ran up the stairs. I, I, I was hooting and hollering because. It, it as much of it is, is a buzzkill for like any casual fan watching, you know, that field goal just like, you know, completely ends the game when it looked like we might have like an overtime thriller on our hands. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I felt like Mahomes. you know, Mahomes popped up out of the bench and and, and went wild because, you know, hey, the game's over right then and there. And uh, yeah. and it was it, that, that was a good feeling. But I, I was confident the offense was going to was going to pick the defense up if they gave up the points there. I'm sure you were, too. Yeah, I, I felt good about where they were in the game at that point. Um, you know, you hold your breath a little bit that Buffalo is going to make a late touchdown like they've done in the past. Uh, again, if, if Gabe Davis had been on the field, I think that would have been even more of a concern. That guy just seems to come up with those big catches, you know, late in the game. Uh, I did think the Chiefs had, the, had a good chance to answer. I didn't expect that field goal to go wide right. Uh, I, I was more shocked by it. I just – I couldn't believe yeah. it. I wasn't even – rooting for them to miss. I was like, all right, they're going to get the field goal. Chiefs will get the ball back. They'll still have plenty of time. Right. You know, it's it's more than 13 seconds, so it's probably going to be okay. Uh, but, yeah, that was a complete shocker. It, it took just took the, the air out of the stadium and uh, really, you know, changed the, the feeling of that game. And then you just knew. You just knew they were handing the ball to number 10, and Pacheco was yes. going to get that last first down. Uh, and, and it was, you know, when we did winners and losers this week, Isaiah Pacheco, you know, really, really the, one of the, the biggest winners of this game. Uh, yes, he, he totaled 97 yards rushing, um, had three big runs, but that, uh, uh, you know, the touchdown score that he had got hit really, really hard, you know, popped right back up and then, when the game was on the line and they had to have a first down, uh, he was an absolute machine on, on that last drive. I absolutely love that. Uh, really, really nice game from not just Pacheco, but the entire Chiefs running uh, offense and, and the offensive line as well. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> Second straight week, they really trusted the offensive line to to do it themselves, which what I mean by that is, you know, when the Chiefs <clears throat> run their zone concepts and, and run their zone runs, a lot of time it's it's play filler, right? It's just getting between pass attempts. It's kind of, hey, we want to get five, six yards. We're not really looking to get, 
you know, big plays. But when they run gap runs, which is when you see them pulling players out into space, you see Trey Smith and Jawan Taylor down block and just take someone out of the way. And, and Trey loves doing that. You've seen him a couple times, just bully guys like Christian Wilkins and Ed Oliver these last couple of weeks, two really good players. When the Chiefs allow their offensive line to do that, that's when they're at their best in the run game. Jawan Taylor, too. Jawan Taylor has has shown very good reps uh, in the block in, in the run game recently, you know, opening up spots. And and it's not a mistake that and, and this is a stat I pulled, Stags, which I thought this was really interesting. And we have a few stats, but I this is actually the, the second interesting one. But on the Jawan Taylor uh, point, the Chiefs ran the ball outside the tackle eight times for 86 yards against the Bills. Four, all four of the times they ran for 10 plus yards, it happened off tackle. And that just tells you that this team was taking advantage of the Bills, you know, light, you know, light personnel. You know, they had the backup linebackers and they also had, you know, they were forced to play in their nickel heavy defensive back formations because they had no linebackers. Right. And so the Chiefs took advantage by getting their offensive linemen into space and their tight ends into space, blocking those smaller guys. And so that's that was really the the big thing was that the Chiefs got into a lot more tight end sets and then weaponize their offensive line. And here's the big stat, Stags, and this is where I want you to react. Because this is something we've talked about all year, right? The Chiefs called a gap run on 12 of the 17 handoffs to Pacheco or Clyde versus Buffalo. That's only 29% of the handoffs were zone. Their season, a- season average for zone runs this year was 61%. So that tells you that there was a yeah. shift in, in, in how the team wants to use this run game, and it worked. So let's keep doing it, right? Yeah, were were they uh, were they saving this up? Is this is this the, is this the thing that they save for the postseason? I I don't know about that, but I mean, they saw something to match up, like you said. And a lot of the commentators uh, nationally have noticed Creed Humphrey getting out and pulling after snapping the football uh, on some of those outside tackle runs to yeah. see the center, a, a, not a small center. Uh, <laughs> moving like that and being out in, in front, uh, out in space and, and getting those what uh, they thought for a moment were unblocked defenders. Uh, that was that was really good to see. They're, they're clearly at their best, you know, when, when they're able to do that. I don't know why they haven't done more of it, uh, but it's, you know, it's all it's all positive at this point. And the more the more gap runs they have, you know, the, they can, they can build off of that. They can play action off of that. They can do, they can yes. have a balanced offense here. Uh, the zone run, to, I was laughing when you said it was just filler in between the pass plays. Cause, cause we've gotten to that point where we don't expect, at least from our perspective, we don't expect a lot of production on those outside zone runs, especially, you know, I love the guy, but especially when it's Clyde, Clyde's just not an outside zone, you know, yeah. speed guy. Yeah, he's, he's not going to be able downhill. to turn the corner. Uh, get him going downhill, good things can happen. And and they did this week, and not just again, Pacheco was great, but Clyde had a 28-yard run that was that was beautiful. I mean, it was it was well blocked, but it was also a really good play by Clyde. Well, the other wrinkle too you just touched on with the zone runs is that a lot of times those zone runs are coming as a, a, an accessory to a pass route, right? You're running a slant concept, they're running a bubble route on the side. And, you know, so they're they're technically, you know, in offensive coaches minds, they think, oh, that's they're blocking the defensive backs by running routes and occupying them. But what happens is when they hand it off, there's no one blocking at the second and third level. So the runs go nowhere. When you run these kind of runs where there's no pass option tied to it, these receivers are blocking downfield and MVS is a great blocker. 
Justin Watson's a, a, a strong blocker. Uh, you know, Rice has, has struggled at times this year, but he is a bigger body that can definitely, you know, occupy space. And and honestly, the tight ends are all playing uh, well in the blocking game. You know, I think Travis has had, he had one missed block against Miami that, that is on my mind as we're talking about this. But this game, all three tight ends are doing very well blocking, opening up things. Um, but I do want to touch on another wrinkle before we move on uh, on the run game that Jess Schwartz pointed out that I thought was really cool. Um, he tweeted this on uh, after he was looking at the film. He said, these little details are important. When it was loudest, Mahomes would dummy count, walk to the line, and ID a defensive player, even though some of those p- points were dummy IDs in the run game. The running back would follow him to listen, even if it was a run. That's important because most often we see a running back care about the ID and pass protection. So doing this every play doesn't give the Bills defense a run pass read. So that's something that the coaches, Pacheco, Mahomes, somebody thought through, and you watch the game, you watch it back, you'll see Pacheco go up and point out and and and, and go up to the line and, and really you know be emphasized about it on every play. And that is a big thing because that could have easily been something where they didn't think about it. They haven't played in a road playoff game in so long. They haven't thought about having to communicate without the, you know, without the, the, uh, you know, vo- ver- uh, vocalizing, right? So, I thought that was a really cool thing that that it, it kind of helped the Chiefs' offense uh, get going. It's really fun to see this team execute and and do the little things well. Sure, yeah. there were still a couple of mistakes, but they didn't turn the ball over. Other than that, you know, the fumble out of the end. So they didn't they didn't turn the ball over in any legitimate way where Buffalo took the ball away from them. Right. Yeah. Uh, they, they had uh, only, what was it? Two penalties on the, on the day. Is that right? Yeah. Cause one of them was right before half. Um, yeah. That sounds about right. Maybe even one on offense. It probably was two. Yeah. So, so not a lot of penalties. They, they were, it was a clean game and I've been saying this all year. I don't care who the chiefs are playing. If they execute, and they execute the little things, they can beat anybody. And and we'll talk about this next matchup because it is going to be a real, uh, real interesting challenge for the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game against the Baltimore Ravens. But yeah, the Chiefs had two penalties for 15 total yards in in this game. That's nice. a a really nice turnaround. And, and you saw you know Mahomes taking care of the football, throwing it away in the red zone when when it wasn't there. There was. There's those signs that they've that they have turned this corner, and if this team is playing efficient, complementary football, they're running the ball well. They're not doing dumb things. They're not turning the ball over as much. Um, that's that works. It's a winning formula, and it's a winning formula when you have Patrick Mahomes. So yes, we, sir, we did get a question. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I was just going to get right into it with, with with Leon Mahomes asking us to comment on 15 as a quarterback, passer, and le- leader at Patrick Trotsky on Twitter. Appreciate you following my guy because you're right because the run game is is one thing, and that's how you know you always hear about that's how you win in the playoffs. But, you know, it really does take an elite quarterback. And so when you combine the two, that's truly how you win in the playoffs. And Mahomes was truly elite um, on Sunday night, I would tell you. 17 to 23 passing, 215 yards. That's 9.3 per attempt, two touchdowns, and 131.6 passer rating. It was his best game by rating of the season. Um, and, and, and you know, there's an argument to be made it was his best game just overall in the season. But you hit on something, Stags. And this is something that talks that points uh, on him being a leader, being a quarterback, not just a passer, uh, to his question. Mahomes is taking care of the football. And it's actually happening at 
at historic historic uh, rate right now over his last three games. According to PFF, well, first of all, I should preface this by he has not thrown an interception over his last three starts. That goes back to that Bengals game at home, then the Dolphins game, then this game. Three straight games without an interception. Take it a step further. PFF has him at no turnover-worthy plays in those three consecutive games at all. No turnover-worthy plays that just got dropped, you know, no fumbles. It's the first time he's gone three games without a turnover-worthy play since the first three starts of his entire career, 2018. That wow. ignores the 2017 game. But he is he is taking care of the football as much as he ever has. And, yes, it results in throwaways at times. Yeah, it results in, you know, not take shots into the end zone, although he had him this game. He just missed him, which he can correct that. But what it does is it doesn't lead to a backbreaking turnover. It doesn't lead to, you know, not them not getting points in a crucial moment. And that it definitely speaks to him being more than just a passer. He is captaining this team. He is managing this offense at, at the at what you just talked about, you know, with with just having to play dirt, you know, play dirty or uh, not dirty, but play, you know, um, you know, it's going to be a, a not a not a clean game, you know, uh, a it was a clean game. I am not saying that well, but Sags, you know what I'm talking about. He played <laughs> yeah, yeah. very clean football the it, last three games, and it was really emphasized this game. Yeah, they're, they're playing clean football, and it may not result in the gaudy stats that you've seen in the past, right? So Mahomes That's this week was definitely definitely not a shootout. He, he had 215 yards passing, but Josh Allen had 186 yards passing. So when you've got a defense playing that well, you can you don't have to throw for 403 touchdowns uh, to win. It doesn't end up being this back and forth shootout. You can play complimentary football. You can you can play smart football and and just bleed the other team dry. And just make sure that there's you know uh, no hope uh, in in the in the other team that you're just going to give them something free. Right. The again the only turnover was that uh, McCole Hardman. So it was an ill advised play call. Right, they they shouldn't have yeah. they shouldn't have called it. They they often call plays like that, but that that should have been Pacheco finishing that drive like he started it. And, but I still hate that rule. I we could I don't know if we have any questions about this this week, but no, but we that can, rule still drives me nuts. So I've heard all of the arguments for it, but when you fumble in the field of play, out of bounds, you retain possession. That's the way it is around the, the, the rest of the entire field of play on, on the football field. Yes, I know if you fumble in your own end zone, then it, it's a safety, right? That's that's a different uh, that's a different scenario. But I I don't understand this it's too harsh of a penalty for a lost fumble that the other team didn't recover to lose possession, to make it a touchback, not even get it, not even give them the ball right there. At the at the point where it went out of bounds, it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. It never has. It's not just because the, the Chiefs <laughs> it hurt the Chiefs this week that it bothers me. That that rule I've always thought was ridiculous. And and yeah, I mean it, it. That was the moment in the game where we maybe had a little bit of doubt, not a lot, but a little bit of doubt. Oh, <laughs> you kidding me? I mean, I was I I, I was as mad as, as, as a Chiefs game, at a Chiefs game, I've, I've been in a long time when, when Andy called that in the red zone. After McColl fumbled it the first time when they called it earlier in the game, luckily it got recovered. I could not believe it, Stags. And, yeah, I'm not – I'm I, the first person to blame is whoever called that play. Whoever thought it was a good idea to call that play is the first person to blame. It is not McColl. It is not the rule. But I will tell you, McColl, 
like that was ridiculous how hard he was trying to reach out like he should have just freaking kept it tight but i will say on the rule like the defense is so dis like has so many dis you know no advantages i should say i guess uh it, it, against an offense like i like them having this one little thing even though i do agree that it is kind of like you know it is weird a little bit i think the alternative would just be a good alternative would just be the offense has to back up to the 20 yard line you know like wherever wherever the wherever the play happens like you get a you get a touchback except you know it's it's 20 yards your way um not like all the way back i'm saying like 20 yards to the end zone so yeah. Yeah, i think I, that's a reason somebody else threw out there maybe make it a 10 yard penalty on the offense and lost yeah. the down you know something like that sure i mean that's it's still pretty harsh for a fumble out of bounds, which again happens all the time and it doesn't hurt offenses at all. You can't advance the ball by fumbling it out of bounds, but you don't lose it either. So I don't know. Well, but I guess it does distance. And when we saw this, this game is it, it de-incentivizes swatting it out of bounds to get ball back, the ball back. Maybe if you do fumble it near the end zone, maybe, um, or like, yeah, into the end zone instead of trying to recover, you just bat it out into the you know that does incentivize that because we saw in this game Jamari Connor, who was one of your winners, uh, forced a fumble and the guy had to bat it out of bounds, but that was illegal touching, backed up the Bills right away. So maybe there is something to that that you know it's just the offense would have an advantage where if it was fumbled into the end zone instead of trying to recover that they could just you know bat it out of bounds, but. But recovering the offense recovering in the end zone would result in what a touchdown. So, <laughs> like, yeah, but they you have, know you got to protect them. You got to you got to you know you got to you got to the end zone got to mean something. I mean, I do I kind of understand Ugh. that part of it that the end zone is a special part of the field that means it has different rules and you know because it has points involved. Um, but let's 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 keep going. Let's keep going instead oh. of. Can, you know, I don't think people people have had enough of that talk. I'm sure, um, because before we get too far after Mahomes and the passing game, we'll talk about Travis Kelsey MBS here too. Just you know, it was so nice to have it as efficient as it was, and this is what I talk about with efficiency. Mahomes on non-screen passes, PFF was able to to isolate those 19 dropbacks. He completed 12 of 17 passes for 197 yards. That's 11.6 yards per attempt and a touchdown. All 12 of those completions either resulted in a first down or a touchdown. So that means every time Mahomes was tasked with just dropping back, reading a defense and making a play, every time the ball was caught, it was a first down or a touchdown. And so obviously there were times he missed a throw. There were times it wasn't open maybe, and, and it was a throwaway or incompletion. But that's efficiency. That's not messing around. Yeah. And another thing is when the Bills only blitzed Mahomes twice, and both times he found a completion for a first down. So even when the Bills tried to heat him up, didn't work. Just absolute nails game from Mahomes. So, yeah. what'd you what'd you think about his game, and then maybe Travis and MVS's performances? Yeah, I mean, Mahomes as a as a passer, as you said, very efficient, very clean. Uh, as a leader, I mean, come on, this guy is the ultimate competitor. Uh, I love that. Uh, was it Rich Eisen or somebody else was talking about how uh, Mahomes is almost coming up with narratives to be to be pissed off about? Like uh, he was. <laughs> you know, standing in the, uh, in the locker room when they were, they were breaking the team down and he was like, they wanted it or they asked for it. They got it. You know, like yes, it, it was, uh, he, uh, 
he, he brings that that competitive fire that that you know previously called a competitive prick like the the guy you want on your team the guy that is you know will absolutely do whatever it takes to win a game all the way down to the wire he's a guy you can you can always count on um i mean i don't know who else you would ever want behind center of your team as you start racking up the the postseason stats and the the record books uh the 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 wins you know whether that's a quarterback stat or not in the playoffs uh, it, it's not a coincidence that some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time have been winners in the playoffs and winners when it mattered. And Mahomes is one of those greats now. He's right there with Montana, right there with uh, Brady. Um, you know, he's got a little ways to go on Brady, but he's on pace, and he's young enough that he has a chance uh, to to get to that point. I mean, the fact that he and Travis Kelsey are already the most prolific touchdown scoring duo yeah. in postseason history passing Brady and Gronk which was a pretty big accomplishment in and of itself uh that's that's something special and and none of this none of this happens without Mahomes you can talk about the defense all day the running game whatever if it's Alex Smith behind behind center love <laughs> Alex Smith did a lot for this team if it's your guy Brody Croyle or Tyler Thigpen this team's hey. well, probably not even in the playoffs uh, but if they are, it, it's an, they're 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 not going to necessarily come through in the clutch. Mahomes, with about two exceptions in his entire career, has been as clutch as anybody we've ever seen. Uh, and so, what do you want from your quarterback? A great passer, clutch competitor. Uh, oh, by the way, when he needs to run the ball, uh, he can do it as as well as anybody. Uh, yeah, that's that's fifteen in a nutshell. Hey, Tyler Thigpen never had the supporting cast that, that he needed to, to take advantage of his skills. I mean, get put him in this offense. Yeah, I don't know, man. Tyler Thigpen had some had some guts. That guy, you know, he could have he, he could have had that scramble Mahomes had. He could have he could have he could have took off like that. Yeah, he he could have <laughs> he could have almost done what Blaine Gabbert did in week 18. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, 13, yeah, 13 points, 13, 12, you know. Well, um, talking about no, the path catchers, the efficiency does also come down to whether the guy on the other end makes the play or not. Right. And, you know, the guy that we've been just beating up all season long, Marquez Valdez-Scanling, comes through with two really nice catches, at least one of them that was highly contested, uh, both beautiful throws by Mahomes down the field. Um, so he still only caught two or four passes, but both of those were big plays, and they were important plays, and they were, uh, you know, it took some – to some skill to execute those we got to give mvs credit for this is the version of mvs that you want two catches 62 yards you know 31 yards per catch uh, on four targets he's not a high volume guy they limited his snaps this was i think the least snaps he's had all season yes but he made two plays and two plays when they mattered and if that's what you get from mvs that's what you're paying for that's what you that's what he's here for, and and he executed it very well this week. Yeah, no, that's that's what we've been. This is what we've been calling for is for I don't you know Justin Watson should be the guy playing more snaps, but MVS still has a role as a deep route runner because he runs the routes well. Whether the ball, whether he, what he does at a catch point has been suspect this year, but he runs the routes well. And yeah, you're right. Season low seventeen snaps, 
And so he actually averaged 4.4 yards per route this game, which is only the second time this season he's averaged over two yards per route, which just tells you that this is the efficiency that we need to see from him. And he could have had a touchdown pass. We talked about the, the, the throw earlier or touchdown catch. Mahomes just missed him. So he could have had an even better day. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so that's the, this is the kind of role he should be playing, a low volume. But when he's in, run those vertical routes. And Buffalo gave Mahomes those opportunities to test him. And so he, he took advantage. And Travis Kelsey was playoff Travis again. I mean, we've talked about the decline, and, and I think he, he can use that famous quote of uh, uh, "reports of my demise have been uh, are premature," right? Because because Travis Kelsey looked like Travis Kelsey of old. Sure, the touchdown he had was completely wide open. You got to <laughs> give him some credit for getting open there and executing on that. But uh, you know, blown coverage aside. Uh, you saw that fire from Kelsey. You saw him catch five of six of his passes. Uh, probably should have caught the sixth one too, if I remember correctly. But this was a this was a good Travis Kelsey playoff game with two touchdowns uh, to go along. Yeah, no, I'm glad you we uh, we need to talk about Travis's game for a second because the one thing I thought very interesting about it was that you know his staple play in this offense and and something that he has attacked Buffalo with Mahomes and him connect on all the time against any defense is that intermediate crosser, and they did not hook up one time on it. It wasn't even targeted. Any t- it wasn't targeted at all. He might have run one, but it was not a targeted route for him. All of his routes, he started on one side, and he went to the outside to the sideline, like more of like a traditional tight end, something that you see more of in a traditional offense uh, You know, with a non-Travis Kelsey tight end. It's because Rasheed Rice is now running a lot of those crossing routes. It's not because Rasheed Rice is kind of the guy that can make the biggest, biggest play on those. And that's kind of a switch up and defense may not be used to that. And so that's why you see maybe, uh, you know, him get open on these plays. I will say number 52, AJ Klein was a big reason why Kelsey was able to find space on a few of these, but on that open wide open touchdown, um, it was actually a great play to play call design. Uh, it was a simple, it was, it was supposed to be a smash concept, which is basically, you know, you have a, a route to the flat and then a route to the corner corner and you're putting stress on that cover three cornerback who either has to come up hard on the out route or come up and or play deep on the corner route. But what they did is they added in a third route, which uh, threw threw the safety for a loop. So the third route just kind of run a stop route inside of the out and then under the the corner route. And so the safety jumped, the corner kind of played under two. All of a sudden, no one was there to to play Travis Kelsey. So it was kind of a great play design by Andy as well. Uh, it's, it's, It's kind of a simple thing, but something that throws defenses for a loop apparently. But I do think that kind of played into the injuries in the secondary, and that was just something throughout this game is that Buffalo was just very banged up and the Chiefs took advantage. You like to see that, though. I mean, I feel like the Chiefs have been on the other end of that too much in our history to as oh, fans yeah, yeah. To, to sit and watch this team get picked apart when there's an obvious weakness and the other team targets that weakness over and over again. I like to see the Chiefs being the one doing the targeting yes, and, yeah. and, and picking out that, that opportunity and and – and hammering it. Um, that's a Bill Belichick, you know, staple. That's uh that's something that other teams have, have always done uh, to Kansas city. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is we've been talking so much offense, you know, I, I think it is time to talk a little defense because, you know, a guy like Chamari Connor was the team's third leading tackler. Um, him and Justin Reed had, had a very good, very good games. They were my co-defense player, players of the week uh, for me in the, in the Insta breakdown. Cause Connor was standout, you know, that force fumble on the first play was awesome, but you know, I think Reed definitely had a good game as well. Um, so shout out those two, 
But I do think I, I really want to get to the, uh, to Chris Jones's his play, you know, because we talk about Chris Jones coming in with with a lot of attitude, uh, uh, you know, a big, you know, a big time, uh, you know, he was hyping up, he was getting with the crowd. And, you know, he was quiet for a lot of the game, wasn't he? Like, you didn't see a lot of Chris Jones. Um, the Bills pass, the Bills pass protection was definitely holding a lot of the Chiefs pass rush at bay. But they kept chipping away. And you saw it on the, at the end of the game on that drive. Chris Jones lines up outside and and bullies Deion Dawkins to the point where he he forces jo- Josh Allen off of his platform, off his spot, throws an incompletion. Where honestly, on the back end, Connor was kind of got t- turned around, and so it could have been a touchdown. Uh, it uh, you know, and kind of ruined Connor's big day. So I don't know. It, it's 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 just one of those things where Chris Jones, you know. There's a lot of talk about how he had he went so long without a playoff sack, and you know he he was quiet this game. There was a lot of talk on Twitter. Man, I think he just he just comes up in the right moment, doesn't he? Yeah, he's the closer. Frank Clark isn't here. Chris Chris Jones is now the the blood in the water guy, and yeah, he did it with with a bull rush from the outside. And I, I saw somewhere where he he actually talked about how he played inside all game. And even the coaches had said, "Hey, maybe we should slide you out." And he said, "Let's wait. Let's wait for the right moment." Ooh. And and uh, and man, it, it paid off. Uh, so you don't always love him on the edge, but you know that uh, that he can take that tackle and just walk him back in the quarterback's lap. And and he just did that. He just decided that's what I'm going to do, and then he did it. So yeah, you you love that from him. Um, I, I'll even take the attitude, man. It, it get people fired up, oh, yeah. or, uh, you know, whatever it takes. I think he's going to be key uh, this next week as well. I uh, tell you what, while we're one more positive and let's get to break and then we'll come back and, and we'll bring everybody down. Uh, Harrison Butker, you know, made his two field goals, including a 47 yarder, made all his extra points. He's kicked through bad conditions the last couple of weeks and has been nails. And in a day where all the stories are about the Buffalo kicker missing the field goal at the end of the game, it's nice to have your reliable Harrison Butker uh, getting the job done through whatever conditions. He's the he's the mailman at this point, right? Rain, sleet, or snow, negative twenty degree temperatures. Uh, Butker's come through for this team. Uh, I had to laugh a little bit about Tony Romo early in the broadcast. Said the Chiefs chose the wrong end of the field. With this win, they're going to be uh, they're going to be in trouble kicking in the fourth quarter. And then, of course, it was Buffalo that missed with the wind at their backs in the fourth quarter. Uh, of that game, it is a uh, it's a testament to the preparation and to the the execution of uh, the special teams across the board. But but of course, Harrison Butker uh, was was just just nails once again in the postseason. No, we take it for granted. I mean, we for sure. I mean, as a franchise that has has seen some kickers cost us some 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 moments. Uh, you know, definitely cool that we have the kicker that does not. Um, it seems like to this yeah. point, knocking on wood. I mean, he is for all the extra points he'll miss for all the random field goals and non-clutch moments he'll miss he rarely misses it when it matters yeah i mean he got him to the to the super bowl last year and, and won the super bowl last year right with with uh with kicks uh to to go ahead and and uh and to tie so this is a this is a player that you know is is not automatic but man only two missed kicks all season uh it's pretty pretty darn close you have an NFL player. What NFL player am I this week? Somebody who maybe played for both the Chiefs and their upcoming opponent, the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, sir, Sags. You got to tell me what NFL player am I? 
I was drafted by the Chiefs and started immediately in the secondary, but did not stay in KC past my rookie deal. Went to start for another team, but after that team is when I landed with the Ravens as a veteran playmaker and, and, and stuck around for a few playoff runs. Who am I? You got to tell me on the other side. Stick with us on the Out of Structure podcast. We'll be right back. And we're back. Thanks for hanging with us on the Out of Structure podcast. Matt Sagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. He's trying to stump me once again with what NFL player am I? Uh, someone who played for both the Chiefs and the Ravens. My head immediately went to, for some reason, fullback Laron McLean. I know that's not <laughs> the answer to this question, uh, but before before you gave any hints, I was thinking of Laron McLean, somebody who I was super excited when he signed with the Chiefs. Uh, I thought oh, that was a big deal. Um, there's also Terrell Suggs, right? But but again, he started off uh, with the Ravens and, and came to uh, the Chiefs later on. Uh, I'm guessing that you're saying you're talking about someone who the Chiefs drafted, who was a playmaker. Uh, was it Marcus Peters? No, sir. Oh. I led you down that trail. I led you down the trail. You took the cheese. You ate it. No, this is Brandon Carr. Shout oh, out Brandon yeah. Carr. Back in the day, he did start immediately for the Chiefs, even though he was a fifth round pick. He did not stay past uh, past uh, stay in case past his rookie deal. Went to the Cowboys. Uh, Marcus Peters went to the Rams, and then they both ended up on the Ravens as their third team. All so, right, uh, hold the okie doke really, on me here. I love oh yeah, well I had to. Right. I had to. I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of Ron McLean though, and I was also thinking of Kelly Gregg. Would that have got you? Oh yeah, a Buddy Kelly Lee. Buddy Lee is what they called him, right? All right. <laughs> so let's get to some folks who maybe didn't fare quite as well uh, this last week. We've already talked enough about it that I don't want to beat him up too much more. Uh, McCole Hardman. Touched the ball twice, fumbled on both of them. Uh, one of them was that touchback that just could have derailed this game. He could They could have been putting the game away at that point. That could have been a momentum killer. Uh, if the defense hadn't stepped up on that very next drive, uh, it would have been a, a real concern. Uh, really frustrating game for McColl. Uh, I'm not sure what role they really have in, in mind for him. He's been uh, – He's been pretty frustrating since they traded for him and brought him back. Yeah, no, I, I just, they can't figure out that gadget, you know, that kind of slot position that just does the jet sweeps, that does kind of the little stuff um, that Kadarius Tony was doing, that Sky Moore was sometimes doing, that McCool. They just can't figure it out. Um, and and they're they're evolving the offense to not even have it, right? You know, and when we're seeing that, you know, there's not as much pre-snap motion. And when they do it, it's, it's not as effective, so... Definitely cool with McColl not maybe being as part of part as big a part of the offense uh, in the in the next game or two. It's too bad too because if you look back, I, I think I saw some previews of of Chiefs Ravens and they were showing highlights of one of the last times they played. McColl was getting open deep and making big plays for this team as a rookie in 2020 uh, against the Ravens specifically. So like you would love to see him just be a big play threat and and. Uh, make his contribution kind of like MVS where you don't rely on him all the time, but, but every once in a while he gets loose and something good happens. I would love to see that. I'm just uh, losing faith that that's going to happen. The, the, the other downer for the week I thought in, in the losers category was just the, the chiefs run defense as a whole Buffalo really focused on the run. This, this is a team that didn't used to run the ball super well, but uh, they've got a young guy in, in cook that can, can get it done. And they've really focused on the run. They ran the ball 39 times against the Chiefs. 
and had some success doing so to the point where there was a lot of folks worried about it. I think the the, the broadcast brought it up and, and others. Uh, this was something that could have skewed the, the, the scale or tipped the scales in the Bills' direction as well. Being able to run against the Chiefs and specifically having a quarterback that can run against the Chiefs because if you look at their – if you look at the stats from this past week, James Cook was effective, but he only had 64 yards on the ground. Josh Allen had 72. Uh, this is a, a Chiefs team that's giving up some some yards on the ground to rushing quarterbacks, and and at times they have trouble stopping the run. I'm uh, sure Derek Nottie was out. Uh, they had some mm-hmm. other personnel. You know they were playing a little bit lighter uh, than what you would typically expect, but. Is the run the run game going to be an Achilles heel for this team? Dude, I don't really understand their thought process on Neil Farrell not playing over uh, Matt Dickerson, um, someone that's been around, I guess, with the team a little longer. But Farrell's been here since training camp or since week one now. And he showed out in the Chargers game to me as big body, as a, yeah. as a Mike Pinnell type. And that's the kind of bodies they needed in a game like this. But I guess they were maybe, uh, you know, trusting that the run offense would do enough, a run defense would do enough where they just need, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, uh, a lighter bodies and more flexible bodies because Dickers can play a little more versatile than Farrell can maybe. All that to say is, is this is my, my party pooper is because as much as they struggled here, Stags, with the Bills run, running game, the Ravens running game is a different animal. It, it really is. And it's not just because of Lamar Jackson. It's actually just because of how they run it, their scheme. But it, it but it is a lot of Lamar Jackson, too, because, you know, he is a much different kind of running threat than Josh Allen. You know, he is much more of an actual and, you know, someone, you know, this is not to say he is a running back, but he is much more like a running back when he's actually running with the ball. Uh, you know, Josh Allen is much more. Josh Allen's like an ostrich. I know someone makes that comparison. But he just runs around like a. You know, just like a freaking ostrich, just like who's going to how can you tackle an ostrich? You know, like you got to wrap up the legs like that sounds terrible. But Lamar, I, I did not expect the ostrich uh, comparison there. I was thinking, so, but uh, but yeah, ostriches, that's a good visual. There's somebody in, uh, in in national media that makes that comparison that and it is very it's Nate Tice. I think Nate Tice says it uh, and it's very accurate. But uh, but to me, Lamar is much more of a, a true running back. Um, but you have to account for his threat in a much more different way than you do with the Bills. You know, you have to actually be ready for, you know, true, you know, like college run run type of stuff where it's it's a lot of options or you know, and, and not to say they do that as much as they used to, but they still will pull it out. You've you noted, you know, especially in the red zone, right, or in situational moments, you know, third and short, third and medium. You know, it's it's going to put a lot of stress on these linebackers. But the defensive line is also getting stressed, you know, with the point of attack. You know, the line's going to be going one way. The ball could be going the other way. Um, it's just going to be a much tougher time uh, for, for the defensive line. And they already, in the defensive front in general, manipulated in that way. But the Ravens could be a little more explosive. Because that's one thing, Stags, that I meant to hit on. The Bills did not have one explosive play. One play that you categorized really. as explosive. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge thing in a game, obviously. So... Uh, the fact that the Ravens might be able to do that a little more on the ground, uh, make some of those plays turn into explosives. That's where I'll be a party pooper here is that this Chiefs run defense really looked uh, looked a little exploitable. Yeah, and again, the personnel packages were notable. It, it really did look like they were they were playing with light fronts. And and when you've got Tershawn Warden and Matt Dickerson on the field, you know, that's just not going to be your 
your elite run defenders. It's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, maybe when they commit to it, you know, they, they can make a stop. And, and I think they did make some big stops. They had some tackles for losses. They had some, uh, some, some big stops when they needed it. So maybe it's not as big of a deal. Um, it sort of kept this game a little bit slower, a little bit more of a grind on the Buffalo uh, offense side. Uh, maybe that ended up not being a bad thing, even though they dominated time of possession. You know, we kept this from being a true shootout uh, where, where maybe the, the Chiefs felt like they had to press uh, with some of their, their downfield throws, and they didn't have to do that uh, because because of the running game on both sides of the football. But I, it's going to be a different story against the Ravens. One way or the other, this is going to be, this is going to be a big factor in the AFC Championship game. Now, before we get too deep into the Ravens, though, we got a few more questions here uh, from the folks, uh, so we should dive in and talk a little bit more. Uh, there's a couple of questions about uh, this game um, and and really kind of going forward. So Eric uh, at EMH1729, will the interior offensive line be okay without Joe Tooney? Uh, as most of you know, Joe Tooney left the game with a pectoral injury. Uh, often when you hear that, you assume, especially for an offensive lineman, that means torn pec, that means out for as close to a full year as you can get. Uh, that's a very important muscle for the blocking process. Um, Kern Dada was more of a strain, so he may still be able to play, and knowing Joe Tooney, uh, he, he probably will. Uh, but it still feels to me like the offensive line is, at least on the interior, still has enough depth to overcome that. Uh, Nick Allegretti stepped in and made a couple of key blocks. Uh, so you've got a, a really good player uh, as a backup if if Tooney's not able to play, right? Yeah, you know, that's the thing with Tooney is he's always been a luxury at the left guard position. But traditionally in an offense, especially, you know, this kind of offense, you know, you a left guard specifically is is kind of that one spot you can kind of get away with, you know, maybe not the most the strongest player, especially when you have Creed Humphrey to his right and, you know, a veteran and Donovan Smith, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously you'd like that to be, you know, a little bit stronger uh, to just say you can throw anybody at left guard. All that to say, Nick Allegretti is probably like one of the best depth guards you can, the NFL has um, in terms of, you know, having someone that can just plug and play right away. Because he can it's play just, center as well. Yeah, it, exactly. So I'm a, the Chiefs are very well set up if Tooney does need to to miss some time because I think Allegretti is a great, and, and left guard is kind of his le- natural spot. That's what he was starting at with the chiefs at, at, during that the, the one stretch he was starting uh, in 2021. Yeah. It's, it's ironic that the one position on the offensive line, you think they can get by without the best player is one where they've paid <laughs> Joe Tooney yeah. a massive contract, but I think he's a valuable player for this team, his leadership, his, his pass protection, uh, his ability to help some of the young guys get better, I think is, is uh, underrated. Um, something else that's underrated from this game, Ed Holinsky's question when are the Chiefs going to hire Jason Kelsey to <laughs> accentuate the fan experience? Uh, everybody saw Jason Kelsey, Travis's brother, jump out of the uh, the box that he was in, shirtless, slamming beers, talking shit to the fans, jump back into the box. Uh, man, he was having fun. No, that was awesome, dude. I uh, just writing and looking up at the TV and seeing, you know, him just going crazy with his shirt off, looking like, you know, a, someone made the, like the T-Rex, you know, the T-Rex in Jurassic Park comparison, just letting out that roar, just, you know, little King Kong action or something. Uh, 
yeah, no, I not a bad idea. Hey, if he really is does retire, he better be an arrowhead next year. because uh, I, you know, I'm I'm a believer that Travis Scott has has years in him unless, you know, unless we win the Super Bowl this year. You know, I could see him maybe riding off on the sunset. But uh Jason's gotta come uh hang out with the arrowhead next year if he really does retire. Come come hang out with the party next year. From now on, he's a Chiefs fan, the pride of Philadelphia. Uh, just one more reason for Philadelphia to uh, fans to hate the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs are becoming that villain in a lot of ways here, right? Uh, Jake Wilson, our guy at Jake for now, he asked about Shamari Connor, who we just talked about. Uh, should he play the bulk of the defensive snaps next next season? I think you've seen enough from Connor over the last few weeks to give you some hope that maybe the Chiefs have done it again with a mid mid to late round uh, secondary player that could could really be a difference maker going forward. Well, I'll tell you, the thing that kind of does make this make sense is that, you know, with, with the positions they have next year, the guys under contract are Justin Reed and Brian Cook. And Justin Reed is going into his final year of his deal. Justin Reed obviously is much more of a strong safety than he is a, a the free safety type. B. Cook is more of a free safety. And so Connor is more of a strong safety type. Obviously has shown that he can play from depth, but you know, I, I, a lot of times he is playing kind of close to the box. You know, he needs to be uh, help against the run. You put two and two together, you know, the Chiefs can save, you know, a significant amount, about $10 million next year if they cut Justin Reed. And Kamara Connor is a very natural replacement for the position he plays. And if he continues to show what he's shown when he's been asked to step up, then this is a way that teams like the Chiefs that need to save all the money they can are going to have, you know, it's going to be a decision they almost have to make, right? Yeah, I mean, there's two players that the Chiefs could let go and save substantial money against the cap. One's Marcos Valdez-Scanling. The other is Justin Reed. Each of them saves over $10 million against the cap with not a big dead money figure for either. It is something to watch in this offseason. And you're right. I mean, I I think you want Shamari Connor on the field. And when Cook is back, you've got Cook and Connor. Um, they can they can build around those guys. They'll they'll have options here, even if Justin Reed isn't on the roster. Um, you saw it with Mike Edwards. They can find guys, you know, off right. the street or close to off the street that can, that can be that third or fourth safety uh, without a huge investment. So I like that idea. I think that's you know that's a good long term roster building expectation uh, for this team. Now talking about long term roster building, Jake also asked. How would you repri- how would you prioritize re-signing Mike Dana, Willie Gay Jr., and Drew Tranquil if each has a comparable expected contract? I'm not sure they would have comparable contract ex- expectations, but if they did, all other things equal, who would you want to pay amongst Dana, Gay, and Tranquil? Well, I know. I mean, yeah, the contract thing is is interesting because I what I would say is like someone like Tranquil. I do think this offseason might get more of a market where like a team might want to actually pay him as like their middle linebacker. And those guys get paid. It's 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 the outside linebackers, kind of the the weak line, weak side linebackers that are kind of you can get cheap. And that's maybe what he was considered the first go around. Now, I think the high the spotlight has been put on him where I feel like he might demand a bigger deal, a multi-year deal this offseason. So all that to say, though. Tranquil would be my my number one, honestly, just because he is such a he's he's such a versatile player, and that's what the Chiefs want in all of their players on defense. No matter what position you're playing, he's someone that can fill the run, that can play in coverage, that can get sideline to sideline. 
Andy's smart. Andy can be the dime linebacker if, you know, uh, or just a middle linebacker, excuse me, uh, you know, in case Bolton gets hurt like we saw all year. So all that to say, I'd say Tranquil, then Dana, then Gay. Because I think Gay is someone that I am a huge fan of as just as, you know, watching him play. But Leo Chanel is a very natural replacement for what he's done. And, and I'm excited to see Leo kind of step up in that respect. Yeah, I, I would be tempted to, to say Mike Dana in this scenario because, you know, pass rushers are expensive. And he if he's got a relatively cheap contract expectation, he's got six and a half sacks this season. He's somebody who's a, a real contributor on the defensive line. That's not uh, not somebody you can replace that cheaply. I mean, they they went out and paid Charles Omenihu, who had never had six and a half sacks in his career, a pretty decent contract, and that, that was still a bargain for somebody who can play inside and out and get after the quarterback a little bit. You value pass rushers pretty high as compared to to off the ball linebackers, but yeah, I mean, I think I think you can make a really strong case for Drew Tranquil as well, just because of the the leadership and 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 the um, and the versatility he brings. Uh, I'd love to see all three of them back. Frankly, I mean, it wouldn't I wouldn't be upset at all at that. I think Willie Gay Jr. is probably the least likely to re-sign, uh, mm-hmm. but again, a player that I that I really like and have high hopes for. I love this revisionist history, kind of looking back. Uh, I had to laugh on uh, on Twitter. This wasn't a question directed at us, but I just thought it was great. Uh, Eric uh, at Master Chief KC tweeted: In hindsight, Kadarius Tony lining up offsides is the reason that the Bills got a home game, and that is the reason that Bass was there to kick in the wind in Buffalo and miss that kick and keep the victory. Uh, this is the kind of the butterfly effect of the NFL. I, I love the the uh, the logic and thinking there. Uh, part of the script that whoever wrote it for the NFL this year, I had to make sure that it came down to a kick in Buffalo um, in, in order for the Chiefs to advance. Yeah. Hey, I mean, the wind probably maybe doesn't just swirl the same. You know, that, that lake effect, you know, it affects the snow, maybe it affects that wind too a little bit. You know, hey, it's. You know, that arrowhead wind maybe wouldn't have pushed it so right, Bill. So you, you get what you get. Yeah. Don't throw a fit. Congratulations on your home game. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, going even further back in revisionist history, Hushpook on Twitter said, what if Chicago drafted Mahomes instead of Trubisky? Now, this question has probably been asked a, a million times, especially probably in the, in the state of uh, Illinois. Um, <laughs> but would Mahomes be the same guy he is today if he was with head coach Matt Nagy in Chicago. Oh man. Wouldn't that have been a funny combo? I mean, that's the thing. Nagy would have, would have loved that. He would have been, he would have been jumping for joy. Like a, like a little girl when, when, if they drafted Mahomes. but uh, no, the thing with, with Mahomes and the question is like, we can all see the special competitiveness that Mahomes has when he is playing this game and, and the fire he has that, you know, it really does come through in like a very, for the most part, I mean, I know we saw that the Bills game earlier this year where maybe you could say it came off in a negative way, but for the most part, his energy as he's playing, very intense, but in a positive way. And that's what probably does drive him to be as good as he is. Now he has the arm talent that that really helps. But to me, I think he would have been a special, special player either way as a quarterback but he absolutely would not have seen the success he, he has had so far in his career. 
Um, and, and I think, I think he just got accelerated. Like, I think maybe at some point he would have been no matter what the guy that could lead a franchise by himself to very consistent playoff success. But I also think it got accelerated very fast where, you know, maybe that wouldn't have been happening until like just now mm-hmm. it was happening. His, the first time he took the field because this offense and, and, you know, this, this, just this team, I mean, we are very blessed and, and, uh, you know, this, this organization setting it up the way he did. It was, it was a very special thing. Yeah. I'm a big believer in draft success, having a lot to do with the fit and where that player ends up. You know, I, I do think, you know, you can talk about the bears, you know, if, if Mahomes had been drafted by the bears or by the jets or by the Raiders or, you know, the Browns, like, would he have been as successful? I really don't think he would have been. He still would have had some special plays and special moments, but I think the the environment here, the coaching staff, you know, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. I mean, there's a lot of guys that helped Mahomes' development. Uh, even you know Chad Henney and Matt Moore and uh, the the people they put around him. It all starts with Andy Reid, and I think the the mental side of Mahomes' game has developed in such a way that it's it's rare. He has a rare eye for the game and a rare mind for the game anyway, but I don't know that he would have developed in the same way or as well without the kind of intellectual stimulation and development that comes along with being in this team, in this environment. You know, he's got some input. He's got some, uh, you know, candid feedback he can provide back to the head coach. It wouldn't have happened everywhere. I mean, if he was in New England, you know, would Belichick have, have put up with it or would he have tried to make him a a more structured player. Andy Reid was great about letting him be himself and and pushing him to 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 do things, you know, within the offense. And I, I think I think he came along a lot of the way he did because of Andy Reid. I'm not sure it would have been the same anywhere else. He still would have been fun to watch, but I don't know that he's a two time MVP, you know, two time Super Bowl champion at this point in his career six times in the AFC championship game, the worst of which ended in an overtime loss. Um, you know, that that's rare territory. I don't think the Chiefs would be – I know the Chiefs wouldn't be where they are. Uh, and I don't <laughs> think the would be either. Uh, I, I don't want to comment too much on Mitch Trubisky. I, I think he was probably a talented guy that got in a bad situation and never developed in, in, the, in the way that he could have. Well, probably not uh, the best pick – even at the time, given what you knew then, but but at least for Mahomes well, and the Chiefs, it would have been very different. Well, I think though comparing them is is a point that is important to make about Mahomes with the competitive spirit that we all see and like just how fierce a competitor is. How just you know he lives in the he lives in the big moment. He eats it up. Like you can see that, and you can also see when the other quarterbacks don't have necessarily that same thing. Um, you know, Trubisky is an example. You brought up, we were talking about this earlier, like Jay Cutler, like that guy ain't winning Super Bowls. Like, you know, you could, we could have all guessed that when we all saw how he, you know, how he acted in Denver. And then when he first got to Chicago, like that guy was never going to win a Super Bowl. I mean, um, Rivers. yeah, I mean, that. I, I would say he got the competitive fire spirit that like, that's why they were probably so dang good all the time. Um, and always lived up in the moment, just never won the Super Bowl. So I would say that's not maybe the – I mean, you know, you you can use it. Um, I don't well, know. I just I, – I think you can – but Trubisky, like that guy, 
you did not really see much of a competitive fire in him much at all. And I think he did, he shrunk in the moment and you could see it in his eyes. You see it now still. Um, and I know you could say maybe he got ruined by his experience, but I think he was just never the guy and the bears just really screwed that up. Well, just like the chiefs, we are on to the Ravens. Let's talk a little bit about the AFC championship game. I think this is going to be a really, it's a really difficult matchup. Uh, it, it sounds really messed up to say this uh, in public. I know I'm going to take some heat for this probably, but the Chiefs in some ways are playing with, with house money. This is a, a very difficult season. A lot of things went wrong this year. Uh, they were clearly, you know, had an issue at uh, the wide receiver position that was, you know, nearly fatal for this team. And here they are back in the AFC Championship game going up against what most people think is the best team in the league who have been blowing people out. Somehow they've managed to be the defending Super Bowl champions and the underdogs at the same time in this playoff run. And it's a really interesting spot for them to be in going into Baltimore. Uh, Tanner Pelzer asked, can 15 and company replicate the offensive success versus Baltimore? That Ravens defense is much better and healthier compared to the Dolphins and the Bills. No argument there that the Raiders' defense is better, uh, but what have you seen that gives you confidence in the Chiefs' offense in this matchup? Well, I mean, I'm confident in the Chiefs' offense because they're in a rhythm. They're they have momentum. You know, they they all are feeling confident, and that's half the battle with what we've seen. This the problems all year. It's all been mistakes. It's all been fumbling. It's all been drops. It's all been penalty. Like if they're feeling good, if they're all feeling, you know, like they are playing well, then you know they're gonna they're going to be able to face off against any defense and, and give them, you know, a, a, you know, a fight. But my thing here though, I will say the Ravens defense is a, a completely different level uh, against what the chiefs offense maybe has, you know, took advantage, has taken advantage of these last few games. Um, the Ravens don't have those weak spots, especially at linebacker. Roquan Smith leads that team and is a, is probably one of the best off ball linebackers in the NFL. Uh, makes a ton of plays, but so does Patrick Queen. Both of those guys make plays. Um, both of those guys will give you know Travis Kelsey a much harder time when he's trying to find space over the middle of the field, um, or when they try to find space for Pacheco on 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 either runs or passes. You know those guys are not going to be as fooled, or is not going to be able to you know get you know if, even if Mahomes get or the excuse me the the offense you know generates a step on him you know with misdirection or something. Those guys have that kind of recovery speed that maybe the Chiefs haven't played at linebacker in a while. Because even Miami's linebackers were hurt. And, and you know, I was on here or, uh, you know, you weren't with us that, that week, but I was on here saying number 45 for Miami was going to get exploited because he was a backup um, linebacker, and he did in that game. There's no exploiting. I mean, they'll try to exploit him, right? Obviously, and, I, and I'm sure, you know, Hall of Fame tight end Travis Kelsey and Hall of Fame quarterback Patrick Mahomes are going to find plays and make plays in this game that take advantage of those guys, but it's going to be a lot harder and it's going to take kind of everything else working perfectly too. Um, and, and so that's going to be a lot harder, especially with safety, Kyle Hamilton kind of patrolling the middle of the field too. That guy goes all over the place. He has incredible range. He's long. He can make plays. They have a lot of players over the middle of the field that can disrupt what Mahomes and Kelsey have been getting going. And uh, and that's a recipe for the Chiefs' offense to start sputtering again. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting to 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 be the team that leads the NFL in sacks. They have a, obviously a fierce pass rush, but 
there's not a lot of the traditional big name pass rushers, uh, especially not from the outside. Yeah, pass rush by committee. It is a very much a committee. Uh, they do have a a Chris Jones like uh, Justin uh, Matabike uh, coming from the inside who had 13 sacks this season. Uh, Jadavian Clowney re- resurging in his career uh, had nine and a half sacks this season. Kyle Van Noy had nine. Uh, other than that, everybody else was you know had had lower numbers and when it comes to getting to the quarterback but they they do it from from a lot of different places so uh it's going to be one of those games where you're going to it's going to test the pass protection in less obvious ways it's not going to be a one-on-one matchup that they're going to be fighting you know to to give somebody help it's going to be across the board this this offensive line has to work as a unit and uh and make sure that they're prepared for the stunts for the uh, you know, for the the uh, blitzes and, and and all of that. Right, exactly. This team is definitely going to be more aggressive in their in their pressures than you saw Buffalo. Buffalo is very, and they've always been like this. And they, and and really, they were forced to last night or to, uh, Sunday night to be very vanilla. You know, in, in how they were kind of playing coverage, not blitzing very much. The Ravens, you know, they they absolutely are a team that they don't have Wink Martindale anymore, who was the DC last time these teams played, and he was. He is definitely like, you know, blitzing all the time. Like he, the, the Ravens were always one of the league leaders in blitzing. But this year, the Ravens are only not that high. They're actually kind of lower on the list. Uh, yeah, they're lower on the, the blitz percentage list this year. So it's not a necessarily, I, it's, and, and this blitz rate means more than four rushers, right? So that's the key. It's not necessarily about blitzing five, six guys, it's about blitzing somebody and then dropping maybe a, uh, an outside linebacker out that usually rushes. You know, they have guys like Kyle Van Oy, that's a very athletic guy that can get after the quarterback. Um, so you'll see stuff like that. The Chiefs are very good at that, right, on their defense. So, you know, we know what that looks like. But the Ravens are good at doing that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's going to take the offensive line playing, you know, up to up to standard, you know, and, and above to, to keep Mahomes clean this game. Yeah, I'm not sure uh... – where, where do you think they stand on the run defense um, in, in Baltimore? I didn't look at the the numbers really closely, but you know I, I do wonder if the Chiefs can establish the run like the way they did against Buffalo, uh, and make that be you know part of the answer here is to keep them keeping them, themselves balanced and less predictable. Well, Baltimore, that's the thing is they have like a good mix on the defensive line of Justin Matabukes who are like penetrating guys, but they also have. Michael Pierce's, who are big stuffing nose tackles. Travis Jones, who if, if any draft nerds from a couple of years ago, he was a very, a very, uh, uh, I, he was one of my favorite draft uh, potential picks for the Chiefs. He was a big guy from UConn, moved super well, but couldn't stuff a gap. So they have guys a little bit, maybe even more than Buffalo. Um, and then when you combine Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith as, as, as better sh- gap shooters and, and can make a tackle for loss, yeah, it's not going to be as easy, uh, and and I would say you know it probably won't. I'll, I'll tell you right now, probably Baltimore probably won't let that happen because they truly have been one of the best defenses in the NFL this year. Um, probably, maybe the best defense when Cleveland, you know, when you factor in Cleveland, just could not get it done on the road as a defense. So yeah, I would I would say the Chiefs aren't going to be able to get it get going as uh, as well as we last year last week on the road. They will have to kind of get it done through the air and kind of um, open up the run game a little bit, probably. Just looking at defensive stat numbers as we were talking, um, if this is accurate, do the Ravens allow the exact same yards per carry as the uh, as the Chiefs did on defense this year? Four and a half yards per carry against the run. 
they allowed less yardage, but they weren't they weren't really dramatically better than the Chiefs when it came to run defense. They're very very similar. Well, good because the Chiefs' run defense has been very bad. So that's good. <laughs> there there good, you go. Good stat. <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll see how that plays out. I still think that if the Chiefs' offense executes to get back to this this question, can they replicate their success? They absolutely can if they execute the way that they're capable of. I don't know that it matters who's on defense. If if Mahomes is doing Mahomes things and the Chiefs offense is not making mistakes, they can play with anybody. Now, to Eric's question, EMH 1729 once again, the best strategy for Spags to shut down Lamar, um, and I don't know if he's talking about Lamar throwing or running or both, uh, but you know Lamar Jackson is – the one player that I that I would say the Chiefs should fear to some extent in this game. He's the type of player that can take over the game, that can gash the defense, uh, you know, for huge plays. He really is that offense uh, for the Ravens. And so, uh, any strategic ways the Chiefs can address Lamar Jackson and that threat? My thing with Spagnolo's game plan to defend Lamar Jackson is use a lot of man coverage try to defend these receivers because that's the thing is like he has good weapons right but it's not like these guys are you know jamar chase and t higgins you know on the Bengals or you know maybe stefan diggs or and gabe davis right like it, you know zay flowers is a rookie um and i think Trent mcduffie is a very good matchup for him whenever uh, they kind of match up um in the slot and then jerry sneed can own odell beckham on, on the outside um and or if it's nelson Aguilar at times I know they have a few other guys, but the tight ends too. Like, you know, Isaiah likely has been a playmaker, but he's not like the, you know, he's not this, mo- the most athletic, you know, he ran a 481, his 40 yard dash uh, at the college combine. Um, you know, I think, uh, or his pro day, I should say. I think uh, that's the thing. I think this this Ravens offense is is very good, but I think this Chiefs defense has guys that can match up with their playmakers. And so if Spags trusts them and heats up, uh, Lamar with the rest of the guys, right? So if you're playing man coverage, that means a lot of times you maybe have that extra guy to, to rush or spy Lamar. Um, I think that's the game plan here and, and try to get the ball out of his hands quick or make him make decisions. But that's the thing is Lamar likes to take sa- sacks. You know, he, he's a very, it's a very sack heavy offense. Um, and it's not because of maybe the offense because Lamar, I think can sometimes hold on to the ball kind of long. So it's about getting after him and, and, and wrapping him up. And I think the best way to do that is to, challenge his receivers and, and play a lot of man coverage and and make them win uh, on their routes. Yeah, I think the question everybody's going to be asking is, is there going to be a spy and who should that be? That's been Willie Gay Jr. a lot of times in, in the past. Uh, he's yeah. not necessarily healthy at this point. I don't know if he's going to play or not. So whether or not they, they assign a spy towards Lamar, uh, I think they've got to play discipline and contain. Uh, you know, You can be aggressive in the back end, uh, but have your your ends not get too far upfield. Have them uh, have them not leave you know a whole side of the field open. I think you got to stay in your lanes uh, and be prepared to funnel him into the the teeth of the defense to the best of your ability. Yeah, exactly. And I think this this pass rush, I will say, that's something they had to do against Josh Allen too. And I was a little disappointed in how uh, little they were able to just get off the blocks and and kind of you know chase down Josh or, or kind of just. Uh, uh, contain him from getting away. Um, and so that's a big deal. You know, if they're not able to do that again, you know, Lamar can definitely have his way if he takes, you know, those run opportunities and 
and yeah, it's going to be on the linebackers in the secondary to, to kind of make tackles in open space and not let him uh, get going. Well, there have been many times this year where we didn't think the Chiefs were going to be here in this situation in the AFC Championship game. You know, 60 minutes away from a Super Bowl, this is a, a team uh, that has struggled. Uh, they've they've been through it. They've found their identity after not having one for a long time. But the vibes are good. The team's having fun. They're, they're winning playoff games. Mahomes is Mahomes. Kelsey's Kelsey again. You know, it, you can't help but be excited to see what happens this this Sunday uh, at uh, is it 2 p.m. Central Time yes. uh, in Baltimore. Weather shouldn't be a factor. It's really just, you know, David versus Goliath and, and interpret that however you will. Uh, the Chiefs have a chance to go to another Super Bowl, and hopefully we're back here next week talking about just that, whatever the Super Bowl matchup might be. You can't look past the Baltimore Ravens. This is probably the best team in football. Uh, and if the Chiefs don't win this game, it's still, you know, it, it shouldn't be a major shock to anybody. Uh, but it shouldn't be a shock if they win as well when you've got Patrick Mahomes, this defense, Andy Reid, and, and others. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait to talk to you all next week on the Out of Structure podcast with my guy, Ron. Thanks for the time, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Hey there, it's Pete Sweeney from Arrowhead Pride, and I'm excited to announce a new element of the Arrowhead Pride experience for diehard Chiefs fans. It's our brand new newsletter, Arrowhead Pride Premier. Arrowhead Pride Premier is a newsletter delivered to your inbox twice a week from me. For $50, you'll get an annual subscription packed with insider coverage from yours truly and new in-depth analysis from voices around Kansas City. It's all about what I'm seeing and hearing around the team. During the season, we'll deliver a newsletter ahead of each game to get ready for Sunday and a newsletter after each game to unpack exactly what happened. Subscribe to Arrowhead Pride premiere today at arrowheadpride.com slash subscribe.